Good morning, sunrise. Stand with us. He's coming on the clouds. Kingdom, kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. For the sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee. God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb. The sin of the world, his blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before him. Who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Can stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Can stop the Lord. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before him. Oh, 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 oh. 
Hey, you guys can have a quick seat. Good morning. Welcome to Sunrise. My name is Paul. If I don't know you, come introduce yourself to me because I'd love to get to meet you, see some new faces out there. It's been a crazy summer, hasn't it? How many of you guys went on vacation already and got back? Okay. A few of you? I just got back from Glacier National Park. Oh, my goodness. Such a beautiful place. Um, I would highly recommend that. Thanks to Dave and Judy. They're awesome. So I just wanted to kind of walk through the next couple weeks. We have a lot of just kind of twists and turns in our schedule. And uh, life group leaders, we have some meetings coming up uh, today after service. And Tuesday night are kind of the the life group leader meetings. Next Sunday, we're going to be out at the Frontier Shelter because of the elections going on. They have to be in here setting up. So we get to be flexible and meet over there at the Frontier Shelter. So make sure you uh, just tell the the folks who aren't able to be here that we're going to be right across the, uh, the dirt over here outside. And then if you are new to Sunrise and you've never been to a new to Sunrise gathering and you want to get to know more about Sunrise, our leadership, kind of our different ministries, join us for lunch on the 23rd. That's a couple weeks from today. And uh, you guys are all invited to join us for that. Um, So that's the last of the crazy announcements. So guys, we are standing in here because of people who prayed nine years ago. We're celebrating nine years as a church. Can you believe that? Wow. So I was talking to Matt. Um, Matt and Megan are on staff with us, and they were here for the first prayer meetings, and some of you guys were here in March of 2011. A group of people prayed and asked God um, if, if he would raise up a church plant, and, and they started meeting in the first weekend in August with a baptism. And we are here because of the people who prayed and sought God. And so we, we just have a special video that we want to just kind of honor the, the ninth year of sunrise. And uh, so watch the screens and enjoy this. sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace. 
Corinthians 3.10 says, and 11 says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, an expert building, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This next song we're going to be talking about building our love. 
on God's foundation, which is love. You know, this side of heaven, we're not going to fully understand God's love. But we can understand a love that is so deep that he cared for every single solitary person that ever walked the face of the earth and ever will. Born and unborn. A love that is so deep that he sent himself to purchase our sin and wipe it away because it wasn't satisfactory to him that we would spend an eternity without him. That wasn't good enough. He loved us so much that he provided a way for us to have eternal life with him with the exception of Jesus Christ. Help us, church, to build our love and build on the love of Christ. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of every praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one you could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Yo! Sure. 
God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. of your name Jesus your name is power breath and living water such a marvelous mystery All creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Amen. Morning, sunrise. Am I on? The button says red. There it is. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate last Sunday, Dewey, filling in on 24 hours notice and sharing the word with you. I came down with a cold on Saturday morning, a common head cold like I've had for the last 40 years, I knew what it was, knew what the prognosis was. Uh, but the current mode in society is to not suck it up and do what needs to be done, but it's rather keep to yourself and make sure you don't infect anybody. So that's what I was doing last week, and I appreciate Dewey filling in and, and uh, sharing the word. God has blessed Sunrise with people that are able to share um, God's word, and that's just an incredible blessing as a church uh, that we have many, many capable people that, that God can use. And those different voices are a, a great thing for a church to be blessed with. So I appreciate that. This morning we're going to start a new series, one that I'm immensely excited about. And part of the reason is, as we watch that video of the beginnings of Sunrise, is that there's a backstory as I stand before you that goes along with that same timeline. And it gives me assurance that God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. 
God is working on things way far out ahead of what we have any comprehension of. Because about the same time that sunrise was forming and people were praying and what have you, um, there was a 50-year-old man in our community that had spent a good part of his life in leadership and teaching and what have you. Uh, that had come to a place of real frustration with the church. Just recognizing what the scripture taught about what a church should be, and yet not feeling like that was what was happening in the church in which he was involved. Discouragement not in a relationship with God, but just in how the church was unfolding how the church was being used or not used in the community, what was the focus of ministry, um, all those things. And in September of that year, 2011, a month or so after sunrise came into being, Bobby and I resigned our position after 40-plus years in a church and we decided that God had something else for us. It was difficult. It was arduous. My mom was a charter member of that church. And we struggled with that for a long, long time, but just felt like that's what God wanted us to do. And at the time in which we walked away, there was not another church in town that I really was interested in going to. I just was discouraged and tired and just needed some time. Bobby started attending Sunrise shortly after that, maybe within a Sunday or two after we left. But I took about six months, kind of a self-imposed sabbatical. I needed some time to just go back to the scriptures and see how much of what I believed was because somebody told me that's what the Bible said and how much of what I believed was because that's what the Bible really says. A journey almost of, of re-self-discovery of, of my faith and, and, and what I believe to be true. And part of that process was that I spent a lot of time reading and studying the book of Acts, history of the early church, I read several books on different forms of church ministry and, and the kind of churches that God was using and how does the church today look like, what the early church looked like, the, the effectiveness of, of those things. And, and I just, that was my heart and focus for about six months. And so Bobby fit, fit in and felt really comfortable here at Sunrise right away and so in early spring of 2012, after Sunrise had been in existence for about six months, then I came and visited. And Scott and I, Scott Mathis and I have joked about this through the years. I was most interested in hearing Scott speak because of the way God had used him at Mitchell Berean. And that first Sunday, frankly, I wasn't impressed. because I was expecting a great orator. But what I saw was a man that exuded great reality and honesty. 
And so as I became, began to come to sunrise, it became a, a point of healing for me. A time in which I could sit back and be out of leadership for a period of time and just kind of let God minister to me. And as that, as that occurred, it became evident to me that this was the kind of church that God had raised up to be used in a powerful way in this community. It was really interesting. Months before Sunrise ever came into existence, we had had discussions in the church that I was in about if, if we did not as a church step out in faith and begin to move in the ways that God was leading and we're not willing to do that in our community, that God would raise up a church that would do that. And I believe God did that in sunrise. And so as time went by, I became involved in leadership, in the financial aspect, and then on the elder board. And then several months ago, God said, would you be available? And so... the journey of, of sunrise for the last nine years has been a personal journey as well. Not seeing where I was going to be, but knowing that God was going to use this place. And so today, as we start this new series called Devoted, a lot of what we're going to talk about and a lot of the things that, that we're going to look at are very much a product of God's working in my heart nine years ago. Um, just the, the passion and the desire that I have for the church to be what God wants it to be. And over these next four weeks, our emphasis is going to be the four things that the early church was committed and devoted to. Because I believe as, as you look at the, the church in America today, we've, we've moved away from these foundational principles that the early church used and, and God used to make them effective in their community. And if you look at the reality of the cultural situation and circumstances in the New Testament church, it's not unlike our own. It really is not. And so over these next four weeks, we're going to look at the four things that the early church was devoted to, the things that they made their priority around. And it's my prayer that as we do that, that we will have a renewed vision and enthusiasm for God, for what God wants Sunrise Church to be in our community and in our county that God's entrusted us with. I want you to turn your attention this morning to the book of Acts. These are going to be our, our theme verses that we're going to look at over these next weeks. This is at the end of the day of Pentecost, after Peter had preached his, his famous message that, that 3,000 people were saved that day. And then this is the description of what the early church began to look like in its formative years and days after that event. 
Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. It said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we pray in these moments that remain this morning that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to what you have from, for us from your revealed word today. I pray that you would build in us an enthusiasm and excitement about what you want your church to be. I pray that you would build in each one of us a, a desire to be a part of that and to be committed to that. I pray that you'd give us a renewed picture of what your church needs to be and how it needs to function. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing that I notice in these verses is that there were four things that were priorities and, and actually summed up what, the new, what the, this new church was all about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to talk about that this morning. And to fellowship or to the fellowship, uh, to the body itself, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those four aspects are what we're going to look at. And one of the things that should excite you as we look at that verse is what was the outcome of, the, of their devotedness to these four things? Praising God, worship to God, enjoying the favor of all the people they got along with and their, their community loved them. And then the spiritual result, and the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? If as we looked around our community, there were people that were daily coming to faith in Christ because how God is using us in our community. That's an outcome we want. So the first key to all this is the word devoted. The word devoted. Because that is the, the action word that's in front of all four of these specific activities. Devoted. The word devotion comes from that. The word devout comes from that. Um, Devote yourself to something. What does that word mean? Well, we use it all the time. I mean, it's a very common word in our society. We, we talk about people that are devoted to exercise or devoted to an organization or devoted to a denomination. He's a devoted family man. She's a devoted mother. They're a devoted company employee. We use the word all the time. What does it mean? Well, other words that come to mind are loyal, Dedicated, committed, okay? There's another word that we use also in context, and that's a fanatic. What's the difference between being devoted and being a fanatic? One has a positive connotation, one not so much so. I think of the, 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 the difference in people that, that follow a sports team. You know, I'm a devoted cowboy fan. I think there's a lot of Nebraska fans that are fanatics. It's, it's, like, it's like 
the other people are the ones that's fanatics. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just devoted. What, what's the difference? Well, by definition, the difference between being devoted and being a fanatic is excess. Excess. And uh, that tends to be in the eyes of the beholder. One, one funny story from my past along this idea of, 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 of a fan was I had a, a friend for several years that I met with on a regular basis, and, and we just did life together. We studied, we prayed, we just were kind of accountability partners. And, and he was a devoted Nebraska fan. Um, I could use the word fanatic, but I won't. And I remember one conversation that we had that, that he had shared with me that, that God had really spoken to him about how involved he was in, 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 that, in the sports team, the football team, and, and how it just played so much into his daily life and his, you know, the way he felt about each new day. And, and he made the comment early on that, you know, when Nebraska loses a football game, it's like, I'm, I just go into full depression mode for about a week. And so he and I began to pray about that and pray about that, just that, the grip that that had on him. And so several weeks later, he came back and we were talking about it. And this was just all in good nature. We enjoyed each other's company. But he made this comment that, you know, I think God's really working. Because it used to be there was a week before I could really see the light of day after they lost a football game. And, and now, after two or three days, I'm fine. So, devoted or fanatic? Where are we? Other definitions, being, being devoted means to give up or to concentrate on a particular pursuit, uh, to, to focus on a particular thing almost exclusively. And yet, in reality, none of those words that we associate with devoted sum up what that word meant in the culture of the day. Because that word was a, the word devoted was a compilation of four different concepts and words that were all put together under this heading of the word devoted. And we do have a word in our, in our language for each of these four things. And, and I want to draw your attention to that because it, it puts, it paints a very different picture than what our opinion is or the way we look at the word devoted. The first part of the word devoted in the society and the culture of the day was the word forefront. Forefront. And when you think of that word, it means a point of focus. That when I look up or I look out or whatever, that's the thing that I first see. That's in the forefront of my thinking. That's in the forefront of my day. That's in the forefront of by being in the forefront, it's not like being the hood ornament on the car. It's like being the big bug that's smattered on the windshield in front of your face. It's what you see when you first look up. The center of my attention, what I easy, easy, it's easiest for me to see and recognize. The second word that makes up the word devoted is the word steadfast. And that has an idea of an immovable part or an immovable pursuit of, of something that is meaningful to me. Carries the idea of loyal. Carries the idea of being reliable. Steadfast. Doesn't move. Doesn't change. Isn't easily shaken. The third word that falls under that word devoted in the New Testament culture is the word continually. 
there's a time element to it. Not only is there a time element of, of duration, it's going on and going on and going on, but there's an element of frequency. You know, we're told to pray continually, to be in, the, in, a, in a spirit of prayer on a regular, ongoing basis. And so when the writer of the book of Acts used the word devoted, he was talking about the frequency and the duration of the way that they focused themselves on these four things. And then the last word that falls under that heading is persevere. Sticking with it. Staying with it. Staying true to the cause or the priority in difficult times. Through thick and through thin. Through good and bad. Through hard. Through easy. It's a part and parcel of what the church was. And so for each of these four things that we're going to look, about, look at, that's what the word devoted means. That it was in their focus, it was at the forefront of their focus, it was steady, it was continual, and that they persevered in it. it was that, those things were that important in their lives. And, and don't, don't lose sight of the fact that as we talk about what the church was, it isn't like the church was all these folks were. I mean, they had jobs, they had families, they were involved in their community and different things, and so it's not unlike us. It's not like that they laid aside their entire life and these four things became the only thing they thought about. No, these things became the guiding principles and the forefront of everything else that they did. That's the picture of the word devoted. So the first thing that they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. Why was that significant? Well, first of all, because the apostles, by definition, were those men who had been with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to His miracles. They had sat under His teaching. They had witnessed His death. They were there and, and had seen His physical resurrected body. They were the eyewitnesses of everything that, that Jesus had promoted. And so, for these for this New Testament church, for this fledgling church, they became the most important piece of five different things. Revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is new teaching, something that's revealed, something that's not previously been seen. And the apostles were the source of revelation for this New Testament church because remember, all of the people that they were dealing with had come out of Judaism. They were either Jews by birth and by blood, or they were men and women from other nations that had converted to the Jewish faith. But they were, they were Jews. They were, they were under the, the Old Testament Judaism. And so what they had is this entire Old Testament history. They knew the five books of the law. They knew the law and the sacrifices and all those things. And remember, now Jesus had become that one sacrifice. All that had changed. And so the apostles' teaching for this New Testament church became a part of revealing to the church something that was new and different. It was Scripture and interpretation of Scripture that they needed to know. If you notice, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, as you go through, and this is verses 16 through 36 of chapter 2, just prior to the passage we read, Peter starts with passages from the Old Testament prophet Joel. 
That would be something that they would have been aware of. They would have been, that, that would have been real and meaningful to them. They, they would have known what that was. And then he converted over into, this is Jesus and what Jesus did and how Jesus' ministry and his death and resurrection relates to what the Old Testament prophet said. And then Peter goes back to, the, to King David, the writer of the Psalms, one of the most, prof, um, one of the most powerful and, and influential leaders in Israel's history. And he takes some quotes from some of the Psalms and some of the things that David said. And then he brings that over and he relates that to how that was prophecy that was revealed about the coming of Jesus Christ. And so... In the apostles' teaching, they revealed, they were revealing to the church how what, was, what they knew about was now converting into what the message of Christ was all about. The apostles' teaching was revelation. It was a bridge between what they knew and what was now relevant. The second thing it was is it was foundational. It was foundational teaching for them. It, it was to become where, where the Old Testament law and the sacrifices and the rituals, that was the foundation of their faith. That was the picture of how they worshiped God and how they came before God. Now there's a new foundation. Previously, they were under the law, and this is the way that you approach God. Now they're under grace. Jesus was the once-for-all sacrifice so that no longer did they have to sacrifice bulls and lambs and goats and all those things. Now... They're under grace. You come to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and obtain mercy in that manner. It was foundational because the message of Judaism was for the Jews. They were God's chosen people. And if you wanted to come to the sovereign creator, omnipotent God, you had to come through the way that the Jews worshipped and followed. It was foundational because they were moving from a temporary sacrifice that we're told only covers sins to the once for all sacrifice of the holy son of God that takes away past, future, past, present, and future sin. So it was foundational. They needed to hear that. There were different realities and different priorities and, and the way that their faith looked was totally different. The apostles' teaching brought about a new measure and a new path of salvation. For the Old Testament saints, they could follow the law and they could follow the sacrifices, but those sacrifices were not powerful enough to deliver them from the sin. Those sacrifices were merely a covering so that God could look at them and show His favor upon them. A once-for-all sacrifice. You still had to live by faith. We're told in the Old Testament that, that Abraham, the just, shall live by faith. But now it was not a faith in a system that God had created for worship, but it was faith and trust in the once-for-all sacrifice of His holy, only Son, Jesus. A new means of salvation came from the Apostles' teaching. The Apostles' teaching was a source of inspiration for the church. Because these men that were teaching, these men that were proclaiming these things to the church, they'd been with Jesus. They had experienced these things firsthand. They had seen them. They had been a part of them. Jesus had used them in some of those miraculous things, that miracles that he performed. So when these men talked and taught, they taught with authority. And they, 
talked with real life experience about what they were proclaiming. It was inspiring. Can you imagine what it was for an, a Jew that came to faith in Christ that all of a sudden they could shed all of the rituals and all of those patterns of practice that were, I mean, they were oppressive. If you, if you read through the books of the law, particularly in Leviticus and, and this ongoing process of sacrificing and bringing something and going to the temple and the high priest going in once a year to the Holy of Holies, I mean, that was, it was just a, 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 an encumbrance to them. It was oppressive to them. And so it had to be inspiring for them to know that now it's faith alone in Christ alone, and we live by grace because of what Jesus Christ did. There's two, there's a verse in the Old Testament and a verse in the New that I, I, I just love the contrast because this is, this is the reality, this is what was inspiring to these New Testament Christians. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see a picture of a vision that Isaiah the prophet had, very familiar passage. And he saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And it gives this picture of the throne room of God. And there's angels, and there's smoke, and there's fire. And, and it's just this incredible place. And as soon as Isaiah recognizes who this is and where he is in the throne room of God, his response is this, Woe is me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm a dead man. I and my unholiness and uncleanness, I can't stand in the presence of a holy God. I'm dead. Compare that to what the writer of Hebrews tells us after the coming of Christ. And the perfect sacrifice that he made for us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Going from a system in which God was this person that, that is holy. I can't stand before him. To going to a place because of the blood of Jesus in which we can approach with confidence. Not because I'm good, but because Jesus was good and his sacrifice was perfect. That's an incredible source of inspiration for the early church. One of the things that we don't often talk about when we talk about the law, why it was so oppressive to the, to the Jewish people, is because not only was there the law itself that, that Moses gave to the people on Mount Sinai that God gave to them, but through the years, there became an additional set of books and things that went along with the law that they called the traditions. And those were the things that the, the teachers and the scribes had put together. And basically it was, the law says this, and the way that we have to do that is this and this and this and this and this. And those things were set up as a, as a, as a way to almost prevent the common people from being able to ever walk in a manner that, that would be pleasing to God. Only the leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees could do that. And so now this new age of grace that was being shuffled in, was being trans, transferred in, those things went away. We each could approach God individually and find mercy and grace in our time of need. There was reason to be joyful 
and hopeful. The message of the apostles' teaching was one of inspiration. And finally, the apostles' teaching brought a message of expectation. Expectation. Because of the significance of Christ rising, raising from the dead. When you look through the Old Testament and you see what the hope was or what the images was were for those Old Testament saints when they passed away, it's, we t- it talks about Sheol. It talks about, in the New Testament, Abraham's bosom. And, and it's a, those places are a picture of, of, of darkness. They're a picture of rest. There's some images of, of punishment or uncomfortableness, but, but there wasn't really an image of this is a restful, peaceful place. The apostles' teaching brought in a new image of what happens when we die. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, just one snapshot of what the apostles taught happens to us after death. Talking about the rapture of the church, and then in verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left, after the dead are raised, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. So the apostles' teaching brought this new expectation of what happened at the end of this life. No longer was there uncertainty. No longer was there darkness and just kind of an ominous cloud about what that looked like. Now it was to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. A a message of expectation that the Old Testament didn't make as clear and plain. So that's why the apostles' teaching was significant, because of those five things. And the reality is, why is that important for us today? This is the apostles' teaching. If you look through the New Testament, all but five books of the New Testament were written by the apostles. This is what the New Testament church had. This is what God used to reveal, was revealed to them, to the New Testament church. And we have that. We have that. And so for us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, today that looks like this. That looks like this. How do those things look to us, those same five things that were so meaningful to the New Testament church? Revelation, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's wrong on the screen, so when you put that up, it won't be the right verse. That was a fat finger typo when I sent that to Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. For them it was revelation. What is it for us? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of this is God's revealed word from the breath of God Himself, given to men so that it could be shared with those who wanted to hear God's voice. This book becomes the foundation of who we are. It becomes, it has to be that which we build our life on. Matthew chapter 7 gives us this picture of a wise and foolish builder. Verses 24 and following, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rains came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. This word for us is foundational. It has to be, it needs to be, it must be the foundation on which we build our lives and our hope for eternity. What about salvation? In the pages of this book and the writings of the apostles, we see the message of salvation very clearly portrayed. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we read these words. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The same message of salvation that the apostles taught is the message that we find within these words, within this book. What about inspiration? The very fact that this book and the faith in God that that New Testament church started and began has endured the test of time. There have been rulers and authorities that have tried to take this book and the, the pages of this book away. There have been, even in today's day and age, there are those in authority that try to stomp out and, and quelch this faith that, that was begun with these few in the New Testament after Jesus went back to heaven. And yet the reality is it has remained and it has grown and that becomes a source of inspiration for us. I love the 11th chapter of Hebrews because as a believer, if, if, if you can't read the, he, the 11th chapter of Hebrews that lists the heroes of the faith and not get excited, something's wrong. To see those men and women that bravely stood in their time of life be against the trends in society and against the things that, that were not right in God's eyes, and they by faith stood. And you think about it, those Old Testament saints, they didn't have the full picture like we do. I mean, they, they were acting upon the fact that God said, this is what I'm doing, and you're not going to live to see it. You're not going to live to see the fulfillment of that. And yet they were willing to take God at His word, not seeing the whole picture clearly, and yet putting their faith and trust and laying down their lives for that. And so it's inspiring for us to see their life and their testimony in Hebrews chapter 11. And then, as Hebrews chapter 12 begins, for us today it says, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a cloud, great cloud of witnesses. These that have went before us. These that have walked in the manner of obedience with God. Because we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this book becomes a source of inspiration for us as well. 
And what about expectation? Now that we see clearly the whole plan of God for what happens when we pass from this life, that's an incredible source of expectation for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first five verses. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, long to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we live in this tent, we groan, are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but rather to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, our eternal dwelling, so that is what, so that mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, and he's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing that which is to come. And so for us, as the church today, this is the apostles' teaching. There's no question about its relevance. There's no question about its power. There's no question that it's still appropriate and must be our guide and our foundation. But the question for us today is really found in the definition of devoted. Devoted. Am I devoted to this? Am I devoted to this? Is it in the forefront of everything that I do? When I have a decision to make, do I search the pages of this book to see what God's revealed word is about that subject? When I have a problem or a temptation or I have been overtaken by a sin, do I go first to this book to see what God's provision and plan is for that stage of my life? Is it in the forefront of everything that I do? Is it steadfast? Is it a regular part of my daily life? On days I feel like it, on days I don't feel like it, Am I partaking of God's revealed word to me? You know, we live in a day and age in which there's so much available to us in terms of information, and yet for a lot of, a lot of the church, we walk in ignorance. We don't take advantage of that. I mean, you can have devotions and emails, and you can, for most of us, we have the Bible on our phone, and if we have a few moments, we can spend time in it, but... It has to be in the forefront. It has to be important. It has to be a, a, a central part of our lives. Steadfast. Is it what holds me firm and gives me the courage to stand? By taking advantage of the time in which I live and in which the availability of this is so easily obtained. What about continually? The third word that goes into that New Testament word devoted. What about the frequency and duration of the time that I spend in this book. I, I know for me, I, I love reading, I love studying, but it, I mean, it's a battle because whenever I pick up my phone, it opens up a whole world of other things that take my attention away. That, that's, the, that's the struggle with technology, is that it's not just, it's not just a communication vice anymore, it's a, it's a window to the world. And there's good, and there's bad, but at the end of the day, if it takes away from this being the forefront, then that's not what's best for me. 
You know, it's been interesting for me as I have interacted with people, with people within the church, uh, believers in the church, during this period of COVID and uncertainty and whatever. I can tell by the nature of the conversation and where they are and what they're feeling, whether or not it's been this book or this book that they've spent the majority of their time in. Because if it's this book, there's a confidence in the fact that there's a sovereign God. And there's a confidence in the fact that, that He's in control. And, and there's a confidence in the fact that, that this, is not, this is not the end. But if we spend all of our time in this book, then it breathes a spirit of fear and uncertainty. And so, continually, frequency and duration... We have no excuse in the day and age in which we live to not be in this book and having it have an influence in our lives. And then the last thing, perseverance. Do I fight the fight to make sure that I'm getting this into my life? Do I persevere in that? Do I defend? Do I prove? Do I share? Do I stake my life and my eternity on what God has revealed to us in this book? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I see no accident in the fact that that was the first thing that was mentioned. Because in reality, when they talk about their devotion to the fellowship and the breaking the bread and to prayer, those all have their foundation in this. And if this is not a priority, if we're not devoted to this as, an, as individuals as well as a corporate church, then we're not going to have the influence in our community that the New Testament church had. Are we devoted? The first step of being the kind of people in the church that God can use is to be devoted to the Word of God. And by doing that, it will bring an awesome change in us individually, us as a church, and will magnify our influence within the community if we are men and women, boys and girls of this book? The question today is very simple. Am I devoted to the personal revelation that God has given to me? Let's pray. Father, thankful, we're thankful today that we, unlike so many in the New Testament church, have a full picture of what your intentions are. For us in the day and age in which we live, but also for all eternity. To be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. What kind of assurance does that give us for and confidence to live in it? Our daily lives. You're in control. Whatever happens here pales in comparison to the glory that you've got for us ahead. Father, may we be inspired. May we make this our foundation. May we hold it with awe and respect because it is indeed your revealed word, your personal word. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you didn't just set us on this course and leave us on our own. You made every provision for us to be successful. And this word from you is a big part of that. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
giver of every breath I breathe,